0: Hello, 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 and welcome to week three of Sheep Thrills. Um, You know, every week we like to start with a little weather report. It's disgusting in Washington, D.C. It's been rainy and cold and sad for the past five days. It's midterm season. There's a lot going on, but with all that being said, we do have a lot to talk about today. Hopefully some slightly entertaining things um to chat about to kind of ignore the the doom and gloom happening outside. Actually that's a lie. We're gonna be talking about some really depressing stuff today. I just like glanced at my notes again to like remind myself what we were talking about, and it's it's not a light week actually. So maybe what we're talking about today is very reflective of the weather patterns outside. Um so first we are going to talk about some kind of fun drama. Um we're gonna be talking about Um, some of the very interesting things that we learned about Senate candidates on Monday. Very interesting day in electoral politics. Um, So we're going to go through that. We're going to talk about candidate quality in a little bit more detail. Um, And then we are going to talk about the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, which just kind of moved past Florida. It's kind of why we're getting all this rain in D.C. right now. Um, And then we're going to do a short update on the... Russia-Ukraine war that we haven't talked about in a little bit, um, but there's still quite a bit to talk about there. Um, it's also 34 days from Election Day. We are four weeks from Election Day, y'all. Four weeks. So just to keep that in mind as we are going through this, we are, we are really at the home stretch now. Um, the October surprises coming out left and right. So that is kind of where we're situated in general, we are right, right on the cusp of deep, deep election season. So with all that being said, let's get into it. Um, So as we go into some of these big Senate um, election updates, I'm going to take this opportunity to dig into the issue of candidate quality a little bit more. We did talk about it a little bit um, in the first episode where we kind of were running through exactly what happened during the primaries. Uh, And I kind of mentioned as an aside almost that a lot of the republican candidates for senate are not the best candidates in the world Um, and that has kind of been one of the factors that's resulted in the democrats having a little bit more control over the outcome of of senate control right now they kind of have a little bit of a better chance of winning the senate because so many republican candidates in competitive districts are really not very good candidates um there are several very competitive senate races right now um and that includes nevada where um incumbent um cortez mastro is a little is a little bit vulnerable and she's running again running against adam laxalt who is the former um like co-chairman of the trump campaign we also have georgia which is herschel walker versus raphael warnock um wisconsin north carolina Um, Ohio, which is J.D. Vance versus Tim Ryan, Um, Pennsylvania, which is literal Dr. Oz versus John Fetterman, Um, plus New Hampshire, um, Arizona, Florida, Colorado, just like a lot of very competitive races. Um, But the ones we are going to focus on today, mostly are Georgia and Pennsylvania, and then I'm going to touch on Nevada and Ohio a little bit as well towards the end. so again, to equality amongst Senate Republicans is a particularly big issue, um, again most notably those four races that we're going to talk about a little bit more today, Walker, Oz, Vance, Nevada a little bit, but it's mostly that's just like an interesting thing to talk about. Um, and we're going to get right now into some of the big issues that just came out um, around Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz. Um, Because that's kind of where a lot of our focus is currently going to lie. Um, So Herschel Walker is running in Georgia for Senate against the incumbent Raphael Warnock. um, And Walker has run into considerable issues throughout his campaign. Um, There are just scandals on scandals on scandals. Uh, Beyond the fact, like there's there's the set of scandals that he's run into. And then there's also the fact that he's just like, not a particularly good speaker, he's not a particularly good candidate, and so it's a little bit hard, like, there's just been so many interesting things that he said, um, that were, like, probably just slip-ups, but still, like, very weird, and, like, him just being unable to articulate policy in a way that's, that's helpful, has been also very interesting, um, and of course, you know, he's a, he's an icon, he's a figurehead more than anything else, and so, Republicans who are supporting him, especially kind of in like the national um, Senate Republican Senate committees and everything else, they are really relying on the fact that he is this figurehead, he's this well-known guy, and so he can kind of get away with things that other candidates might not be able to get away with, kind of not being able to articulate particularly particular policy positions, um, not being able to kind of justify those policy positions. Another candidate that doesn't have that kind same kind of national uh, not kind of national, un- people understand him and know him on a national level, probably would not be given that same opportunity and all of these chances over and over again. So, and that's an interesting thing kind of for the Republican Party in general, is now, do they think, oh, well, we're gonna have more success if we're nominating these candidates that are well-known, but are not political, don't have a background in politics, but are well-known in another way, because they can kind of, they have this aura about them that helps them to avoid different um, scandals, right? Because that's what we have with Donald Trump. That's what we have here with Herschel Walker. Um, if they're not well known from politics, maybe they're able to avoid those political controversies better. Anyway, just an interesting thing to note for the future. But anyway, some of the scandals that have come up throughout this campaign. Um, first of all, his ex wife accused him of threatening to kill her. So that's really cool and fun. Um, He was sued for failing to repay um, almost $600,000 in loans. Um, There's been multiple campaign finance violations. And then just like the cherry on top of everything is that there are three illegitimate children that he had not previously acknowledged that have been basically found out about um, throughout the course of the campaign, which is just wild. and there was a week over the summer when I literally think there were two children discovered back to back. It was like a Monday it was like big story Herschel Walker has secret kid that he does that he's not involved with blah 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 blah. A week later, there's another kid, so there's just a lot there's a lot there with that um and it's not that he hasn't like ever acknowledged them like he's acknowledged them on paperwork and stuff um, but he has never spoken about them publicly uh, and again, it's just a matter of. He's a he's a he's a family values candidate um, and he's kind of having all of these random children just pop up left and right. Um, and it's also interesting that within the campaign, I, I'm if I read the story correctly, it was that he said after the first kid came out, they were like, is there anything else that we need to know right now? His campaign was like, "You you need to let us know. If there is something else that we need to know because we, we can help you if we, we can't like deal with these problems and he says no 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 everything's good there's no other secret children etc and then a week later another secret kid popped up so that's hilarious to me I hope those kids are okay I don't know they, they, they those kids in particular like I haven't been getting any like attention from the news media beyond just the acknowledgement that they exist. Um, but still you know interesting to know, and then what happened like uh, monday night Monday night was that the Daily Beast reported that he Herschel Walker paid a woman to have an abortion in the same year that one of his other illegitimate children was born um and so this was also you know particularly important because we've been having all these conversations around reproductive rights um Around kind of what you know around republican hypocrisy around those issues blah 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 but he's he said made he this is all of this news has come out right after he made a statement that all abortions all the time should be banned basically with no exception um he even called you know abortions in the cases of rape or incest quote excuses um and he also signed on to a fifteen week abortion ban um that a lot of other re- republican incumbents and Republican candidates have like literally run screaming from um, just because it's not necessarily good policy. Um, And you know, Walker's or Herschel Walker's understanding of this, he said that like, you know, people in Georgia aren't talking about abortion. They're more concerned with these economic issues, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, like we talked about last week and the week before kind of this running theme Is that these social issues and particularly reproductive rights are very much at the forefront of um, campaigns right now and to say that people in your state aren't talking about reproductive rights is just not a true thing Um, it's very much central focus whether or not this this is actually going to change the course of the race you know, whatever, we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, But to argue that reproductive rights are an important issue in your state and not an issue that people are talking about is just so short-sighted and funny to me. Um, But it is, it's trying to get, it's him trying to get the narrative away from these family values issues that he has purported to be a leader on, when in fact he is not, um, and turning it back to those kind of bread and butter conservative issues that fiscal conservatism um, that is going to kind of help him be a little bit more at the forefront and help push his own campaign forward. Because he's not getting anywhere talking about social or family issues right now, but he might get somewhere focusing on economic issues. Um, there's also, the, the, the Daily Beast article is really interesting. I'll, I'll link it on Spotify or wherever I post it. Um, there's a lot of evidence from the woman who made the claim, who kind of was the whistleblower here, um including a get well card that Herschel Walker sent to her after the procedure um it's hilarious it's a hilarious card um it's literally like he sent his assistant out and was like I need you to get like a get well card for me and it, like they just picked up the first one on the shelf and it's just it's it's like it's satirical like it, this is not a real situation like there's no way that these things are real um but it is it is someone said that this was a uh, Seinfeld bit that got cut because it was like too obnoxious, like that's the level that we're at here with the with these issues. Um, so anyway, kind of, and then again, kind of, still on this this train of family values, something that's also very interesting and very important is that one of Herschel Walker's sons is a Republican TikTok personality, um, and I believe he's one of like the le- like the legitimate kids. I'm pretty sure. Um, his mother and Herschel Walker were married at one point. Um, but he, again, he's basically this conservative talking head. He's just love, love Christian Walker. He's such an interesting human person. Um, but basically he came out very strongly against his father, um, and basically claimed that Herschel was physically and emotionally abusive against him and his mother. Um, and then he believed all the claims that were made against him. Um, and so now we have this very public family drama playing out on the internet with Christian Walker um, releasing videos on Twitter and on TikTok kind of condemning his father. Um, And so again, we do have this playing out in a very intense and public way that is not a good look for the Walker campaign, Um, especially again, because Republicans are relying on them being family values candidates as their justifications for a lot of different policies. um, And one of their when one of their forefront Republican candidates is clearly, clearly going against those family values that they purport to support and be the leaders in, um, is, is a very problematic issue. And frankly, the, the the public nature of this drama kind of reminds me of the, the Conway family drama from a couple of years ago, um, except the fact that Christian is like a fully autonomous adult man, um, where and now I'm blanking on her name. The Conway daughter, Claudia. Claudia, um, was a child and was 16 years old and like was not making those decisions. Um, was, was was you know experiencing a lot of different other factors. Um, but Christian is is a full adult man and it's kind of a it's a little bit of a different situation here. So what I want to do now is listen to what Christian has to say. He posted these, um, tweets uh, yes, yesterday, October 4th. Um, and his tweet says, I've stayed silent for nearly two years as my whole life has been lied about publicly. I did one campaign event, then said I didn't want involvement. Don't you dare test my authenticity. Here is the full story. So we're going to listen to these little videos and, uh, so you can hear from, from Christian himself. Hopefully this works.
1: I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. surprise, because it affected me. That's why I talk about it all the time, because it affected me. Family values people, he has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I have a silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the car. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done everything has been a lie. And so for the right to say I'm being suspicious for saying, "Hey, I'm I'm done with the lies when you all have been calling me saying, "Is this true about your dad? Gosh, we're not going to win Georgia this candidate all." That's been you. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have ended this on day 1. We haven't. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've destroyed and act like you're some moral family man. Y'all should care about that, conservatives. And then for people on the left to act as though I'm responsible for all of the things that he has done. I've talked about Father Epps. I've talked all these issues because they've been close to me because they matter to me, because I went through it. That's why I've talked about it. So when you say, well, talk about your dad, but I am. I'm saying this behavior is atrocious. Don't come for me. You don't have to like my apology. You don't have to like me. You don't have to, I'm just saying, I'm done with the lies. We were told at the beginning of this, he was gonna get ahead of his past, hold himself accountable, all of these different things. And that would have been fine, go ahead. He didn't do any of that. Everything's been a lie, everything's been downplayed, everything's been cutting corners, the whole thing. And who? Who is? whose expense is that at? Me, my mom, as we're chased down by the media, uh, we're, we're terrorized, all these different things, uh, uh, people are questioning my authenticity, I'm done. Don't lie, don't put this on me. You, this is a candidate issue, not a me issue. I wouldn't have spoken out if there weren't all these lies every day. And just two more things I have to address, and then I'm done with this buffoonery nutjob land. This is atrocious. People on the right are pulling up that I did a campaign event with my dad last year, and they're saying, well, you supported him all last year and all this year. You look suspicious. No, no, no. You all have been calling me saying, why aren't you on the campaign trail with your dad? Why aren't you helping him out? This looks weird. You should go help him. And I've said to you calmly, I'm not getting involved you don't know my family life. I did one event last year when we were told he was going to get ahead of his past and hold himself accountable. None of that happened. Everything's been a lie. So for me to tell you, I'm not getting involved. And then you also be flooding my DMS and calling me saying, I didn't know all this about your dad. We're going to lose the centuries." And then when I simply say I'm done with the lies, you go, well, Christian looks suspicious. Excuse me. I haven't told one story about what I experienced with him. I'm just simply saying, don't lie. And then for for certain political pundits to be pulling up old pictures I posted of my dad thinking they can police and and determine what my relationship with my dad was. If you wanna pull stuff up, I'll pull stuff up. Don't try me. Don't test my authenticity. All of this has been a lie and you've known it. You've known. So don't you dare. And then to the left, who says, well, he did all this to your mom and you were still with him and, you know, that's weird. You know nothing about my life. My parents went through a dirty divorce. I went through a lot as a child. And, and you don't know anything. You don't know the ebbs and flows of our relationship. Nobody knows anything. So for everyone making these wild theories and whatever, that, that, that's crazy. This is about a bunch of lies. Again. I could, if I had an issue with whatever, I could have ended this table. That's not my intention. My intention is don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy, talk normal, do not lie.
0: All I have to say to that is buffoonery nut job land is so real. He went absolutely crazy with that one. Um <laughs> Anyway, so that's 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 Christian's take on this. And again, public posted publicly on Twitter has 73.5 thousand likes. Um just absolutely viral. And again, like even even political pundits um, and people who follow elections every day um, have been saying that they've, they've never seen anything like this and that this is kind of a, a completely unique situation for um, a, a candidate's child who is so similar to him on the political spectrum um, to, to be coming out this intensely. And again, is this actually going to do anything for Walker's election chances? Maybe nothing. Um, He's already completely ridden with scandals. So what's one more to add to the pile? Um, Nobody I don't think there's anybody at this point who truly believes that he is an upright family man and they're not voting for him because of that. Um, And we do know that, like, based off of research, based off of evidence, scandals do have a negative impact on candidate vote share. But who knows how much, you know, the exponential effect, um, I guess it's kind of probably a decaying exponential effect, right, of um, these scandals is actually going to do. Like, it's, it's we're already there. Um, Georgia does get pulled a lot, um, so we'll know relatively soon what this means for everything. But the Walker camp is flat out denying um all of the allegations, and apparently there's some severe chaos happening behind the scenes, um, as a secret abortion is wont to do. I uh, wrote an article that basically talking about what Walker's election chances are Um, post the scandal. And as they said, and as is generally very true, um, partisanship often trumps scandal. Um, So at this point, because partisanship is so deeply ingrained, and, you know, the number one indicator of which direction somebody is going to vote is their party affiliation. And that's just kind of it. um, it, There's kind of, it's unclear how many people are actually going to turn against him. Um, There's also the matter of the fact that um polling has indicated that um Warnock is already up 2 points so right now the issue isn't so much people turning against Herschel Walker it's a matter of him not gaining um and for that reason it's possible that these scandals might have more of an impact because it is true that um it's it's unlikely that he's going to gain many points after this scandal, but the then the question is like, oh, is that does that mean he's going to lose points? Um, so we'll see how it goes. It's and a lot of the Republicans are rallying behind Herschel Walker. I think a lot of them probably in private really don't want to get involved. They don't like him. They don't want him to win. This, that, the other thing. Um, but very importantly, most ana- analysts. Have pretty much determined that Georgia is the key state here. So whichever way Georgia goes, as does the the control of the Senate. Um, so Georgia really is at this point probably the most pivotal state, followed by Pennsylvania. And so Republicans have been rallying behind him, have been saying, you know, we're going to continue to support you at least in public, um, and you know, they're really just trying to preserve their chances in the Senate. I don't think they really care about Herschel Walker as an individual. I don't think they, I don't, I doubt that they respect him very much as an individual, um, but they do really want to preserve their chances in the Senate. Um, And that is, that's also a matter of, you know, the Republican Senate committee just sending so many consultants over to Georgia and really trying to get a handle on everything that's going on internally as well. Um, But that's Georgia. And now we're going to move on to Pennsylvania. So as we know, Dr. Oz is running against John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. It's also a very tight, very important race um, where Georgia is where, you know, Georgia, the incumbent is a Democrat. So that's where they really don't want to lose a seat if they that's how they're gonna keep the Senate 50-50. Um, but if the um, Democrats are able to pick up a seat in the Senate, it's likely going to be um, in Pennsylvania. So that's, also, that's why this seat is particularly important where Georgia is like triage, like making sure that we, the Democrats don't lose control. Pennsylvania is about actually getting ahead in that beautiful, beautiful potential reality of a 51-49 Senate. Um, this is a very dramatic, important race. Uh, the Republican primary was really messy and close. Um, John Fennerman is a pretty outspoken candidate. He's also had some pretty significant health issues throughout the campaign trail. Um, so there's kind of a lot going on. I've, 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 I've joked that this race is the most um, like a West Wing esque race that I've ever seen, where there's just like scandals happening left and right, and there's, there's, you know, political intrigue, this, that, the other thing. Um, But Dr. Oz has been facing different accusations, different scandals, different drama, um, basically every three weeks since the summer. Um, And the, the difference here between Dr. Oz's scandals and Herschel Walker's scandals are that Herschel Walker's scandals are a little bit more severe or intense. Like there's more... There's more like, you know, there's physical violence involved, um, so like that. But Dr. Oz is just, all of them are just insane, like just insane things. Um, so now the new thing is that there is, um, he is facing accusations of animal abuse tied to his medical research. And there's no evidence that he personally mistreated any animals, but there are reports that dozens of his experiments at Columbia resulted in the deaths of hundreds of dogs. Hundreds of dogs. Get ready for these numbers because your jaws are going to be on the floor. Ready for this? 329 dogs, 31 pigs, 661 rabbits, and other rodents that died because of his experiments. As if this guy couldn't get to be more of a joke, it's really hard to campaign for a puppy killer. Puppies are puppies and veterans are two of the things that are the most bipartisan, bipartisan issues in the world. Puppies and veterans. It's really hard to campaign against puppies. It's really hard to campaign against veterans. Like, are you joking? I, I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm going to repeat the numbers one more time because I think that I really need to just add some emphasis here. 329 dogs, 31 pigs, 661 rabbits, and other rodents. What? Oh, my God. So, he had to pay, when this was all happening, he had to pay a $2,000 um, penalty in, for violations of the Animal Welfare Act. No kidding. Um... And literally, like, I just have to say, like, there's running a a, a bad campaign. There's running... Like, you know, you can run a not great campaign. You can kind of have some flubs. You can have some issues. And then there's campaigns that you're running where there's a news article with the headline, Did Oz Kill Any Dogs Himself? And that's when you know you're running a really, really bad campaign. Like, what a joke of a campaign. I don't even know how... His campaign staff is still doing it, like I truly don't. Um, just because I don't even know, but that's just important to talk about, I guess. I don't, I can't wrap my, my brain around it, and I'm sorry I'm being a little bit inarticulate, but how is this man gonna win a set? I don't know. It's gonna be so interesting to see if he pulls it out and wins this race when so, he's a puppy killer. You can't be a puppy killer and run for the Senate. Um, Anyway, it's also very interesting here to see the different responses from the Warnock campaign and from the Fetterman campaign. Um, And Fetterman has been memeing just the absolute living daylight out of the Oz campaign um, and just absolutely turning Oz into the butt of the joke over and over and over again, um, which has been great because... As soon as the meme cycle has retired itself, um, there's Dr. Oz does something else, or something else comes out, and then John Fetterman campaign has another meme to use for the next three weeks. And it's just this endless cycle that's been going on for months now. Um, and so it's, it's also, this particular issue is particularly good for the Fetterman campaign, because they have two goofy little rescue dogs... That they can say, "Look at our goofy little rescue dogs, wow, hope John or hope Doctor Oz doesn't try to kill them. what this isn't so unserious. This campaign is so deeply unserious, but it's so important it's so interesting anyway and the and kind of the opposite direction, the Warnock campaign is pretty much staying out of those more sensational dramatic elements of the scandal just kind of letting the news run its course um you know while all of this is going on on the republican side we literally have um Raphael warnock like making jokes about nuts on twitter like he's just you know it, it's also just different dispositions different candidates running different races um but both different ways to kind of deal with your opposition candidate being so embroiled in chaos all the time. Um, I don't know if either are better or worse. I think it depends on the state, depends on the issue, depends on the candidates. Um, but I think they're both doing what they need to be doing for the situations that they're in. Um, and you know, it's not like Raphael Warnock is going to invite Christian Walker to speak at a campaign event. It's not like he's going to be like retweeting these videos, be like, slay Christian, go crazy. Like, He's, he's staying out of it for the most part and kind of letting the Republicans deal with all of this stuff internally and hoping that that kind of takes attention away from um, campaigning in a more serious manner. Now I briefly want to talk about um, Nevada. Very briefly talk about Nevada. So again, Adam Laxalt is the co-chairman of Trump's 2020 reelection campaign. Um, And he has also a fairly long list of things, although he's generally been promoted as the good Republican candidate in this cycle. Uh, There's been some very funny memes about him being like, oh, it's me. I'm the hero of this election cycle, even though I did all of these things. Um, But basically, we know about a long list of election finance violations and other scandals, including assaulting a cop, getting a DUI, all of these fun things. So that's that's Adam. He's He's got his own stuff going on. Um, and then, of course, we have J.D. Vance in Ohio. And look, maybe I'm just dumb, but I truly, truly did not realize that J- this was the J.D. Vance that wrote Hillbilly Elegy. I, I think I'm just dumb. Like, I think that I am just not a smart person. Um, but I have been reading about J.D. Vance for a year and a half now, and somehow I never realized that he was the one that wrote that book. So that's interesting. A a, a side note, but interesting nonetheless. Um, But the Ohio Senate race is actually unexpectedly close. Um, And it's basically been a lot of, I think Joe Manchin said this a while ago, was he said um, if he, his prediction for the Senate is that it's going to be um, 51-49, and if we don't pick up the Senate seat in Pennsylvania, we're going to pick up in Ohio, which will be very interesting, very, very interesting. Because everyone talks about Ohio being a swing state. I don't know if I believe it necessarily, but it'll be very interesting if Ohio does get a, another Democratic senator. Um, Again, so the Ohio Senate race is unexpectedly close, likely because J.D. Vance is a little bit of a scary dude. Um, He said a lot of problematic things about reproductive rights. Um, He basically claimed that, you know, abortion in the case of of rape or incest, that two wrongs don't make a right. Um, And he has stated that parents should stay in unhappy or potentially violent relationships for the sake of their children. He also had a long history of denouncing Trump and being very anti trump um, but then also used his endorsement to win the republican nomination in Ohio, which is another kind of uh, chaotic race over there um, so again we we there's this list of kind of problematic things that um, Vance and kind of the Republican campaign have done in Ohio, and then we counteract that or we we compare that with the democratic campaign that is extremely moderate um tim ryan is not inviting joe biden to come campaign with him in ohio he's really trying to separate himself in a way that um other candidates really haven't um even in those kind of marginal states which has been very interesting so we do have that kind of um that that very moderate republican candidate In contrast to a pretty extreme Republican candidate, um, extreme at least in terms of rhetoric, uh, which is kind of all you need at this point. Even if your positions aren't that intense, if your rhetoric is, everyone will believe that you're kind of that far to the right. Um, Which is, and this kind of dynamic is giving Democrats a little bit of an upper hand in Ohio, at least slightly, because that polling is um, still very much up in the air and we don't have again, whatever polling, we don't have firm numbers on anything, but we do know that it's closer than it was expected to be. So, kind of to summarize this whole section, I think that it's interesting that Republicans have to overcome candidate quality issues, as we've seen, and I think that, importantly, one of those big candidate quality issues has to do with rhetoric around reproductive issues. Like, we can't Candidates can't claim that um, people don't care about reproductive issues because they do. And I think where a lot of these candidates are getting tripped up is their extremely hardline, rhetorically aggressive, violent stances on reproductive rights. Um, and so I do, th- I do, I really do think this is going to be a pretty central issue moving forward throughout the last 35 days of campaign season um so anyway GOP and disarray doesn't have the same ring as Dems and disarray but that's where we're at that's all I want to say on that very long section lots of drama um I would have used those things as my chaotic political story of the week but I think that they needed their own room to shine and I and, and they did they did need their own room to shine so now we're going to get into some slightly more depressing segments, um, talking about Hurricane Ian. Um, so Hurricane Ian has officially kind of swept through Florida and left a pretty significant amount of destruction in its wake. Um, rain has made its way up to DC. It's been cold, rainy, but other than like I think some like very moderate flooding, um, it's been pretty quiet here. Um, but in Florida and a couple in I believe North Carolina, uh, there is. At the, As of last night when I was taking these notes, um, there is a list of 190 plus confirmed dead. Um, and that list is still growing as they're continuing to do search and rescue missions. Um, most individuals found dead were in Lee County in Florida, where there's more than 45 people who have died. Um, many were attempting to flee floodwaters. Um, some drowned, hit their heads, um, something like that. And then many were injured and died because of the wind. Um, Lots of things blowing around, hitting people, again, hitting people in the head. A lot of um, um, kind of blunt force trauma that resulted in people being unable to leave their situations. Um, There's also a story that one person died just straight up from emotional trauma from the storm. Um, And then importantly, a lot of these victims were older. I think the majority were over 65 at least a plurality were over 65, um, or there were people just generally lacking mobility. Um, so a lot of people who had some kind of physical disability um, or kind of were had some machines that they needed to stay alive. Um, and a lot of these people, again, they didn't have that mobility, so it was harder for them to get out of Florida in the first place, get kind of get out of the path of the storm. Um, or it was hard for them to leave once they realized that they were in this emergency situation, and they kind of couldn't escape the floodwaters at that point. And there was there was nothing that they could do, and there was no way for them to get out. And so this is kind of a important policy conversation as we're talking about storm management and crisis management. Um, but in these emergency situations, how can lawmakers and policymakers be sure that people with limited mobility are able to get themselves out of harm's way. You know, how are we, how are we tracking these people um, who are going to be directly in the path of the storm, who may, first of all, may not have access to the same kind of news and information that other people are getting. So they're not kind of aware of those current events, they're not aware that they're going to be right in the path of the storm. And then they, you know, if they don't have the ability to move, who's responsible for making sure that those lives are preserved, frankly. Um, whose job is that to, 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 to do that work and to make sure that all of those individuals understand what situation they're going to find themselves in. Um, and again, a lot of these older people had additional health problems. There was um, someone with high blood pressure who died and there was an older man with an oxygen dependency who was on a machine. And when the electricity went out, his machine wasn't working and he died because he wasn't able to kind of get that life saving support. He wasn't able to use the equipment that keeps him alive. Um, so anyway, just a very, very sad, I don't know, very depressing situation and an interesting policy conversation, I guess, just in terms of that one issue of how can we make sure that immobile populations are able to be moved and able to be saved. Um, Because it's not even just a matter of older people, it's also people with, you know, mental or intellectual disabilities, um, or people, you know, anyone with a physical disability, anyone in a wheelchair who's just unable to, um, move themselves or get, you know, even get to a higher level of their house if flood water is reaching all the way up to the attic. Like, how can we be sure that we're tracking these people? How can we make sure that they are in a safe situation? Just an interesting, interesting thing to think about, um, But crews are currently in the process of going door-to-door to to search for survivors in decimated areas. Um, And if you do, if you look at some of the the footage, it looks straight up post-apocalyptic. I mean, they they literally had feet of rain, just absolutely demolished communities. Um, Some of this flooding got so intense during the storm that there were, like, literal sharks swimming through, like, city streets. Um, And then there's also... You know, several islands that have been cut off from the mainland that are now completely unlivable almost. Um, This kind of wildlife reclaiming the land, just alligators and snakes uh, roaming around. So now not only have homes been destroyed, but also the land is now a little bit more inhospitable for um, individuals to to live and to rebuild. Um, As of Tuesday evening, 400,000 plus people are still without power. Um, and many thousands of people have now become homeless, which is where a lot of the response is starting. Kind of once this search and rescue aspect is pushed through, um, then it's all about making sure that we can rehouse all of these people who have recently lost their homes. Um, something that's also pretty notable and pretty important is that Florida was already facing a housing crisis that Ian only exacerbated. Um, so, as of Monday, there was about 1,700 people remaining in emergency shelters, um, and, you know, the hardest hit communities were residents on fixed income or working poor, again, those people with limited mobility. Um, rich people, if they're in the eye of the storm, they can say, oh, I'll just fly to my other house in New York, or I'll just kind of get out of the way of the storm. Um and if their houses are destroyed, they might have kind of a, a financial setback, but they'll be able to continue to survive. But a lot of these people, these working poor people whose houses were destroyed, who kind of lost a lot of their livelihood, aren't going to be able to financially bounce back as quickly as other people. So those hardest hit communities are residents, not the, not, not the residents who are living in all of the fancy developments and high rises in Florida, but are instead, you know, working class, Um, people on fixed incomes. And um, an organization called the Florida Housing Coalition has said that there is a statewide deficit of 500,000 homes um, for affordable to lower and middle income families. So we already have this deficit, and now we have all of these people who are now displaced, who may not be able to rebuild, who may, you know, not have the resources to actually kind of move on from this situation. And then we also, like, how much is homeowners insurance going to cover the destruction where are these low individual low income individuals going to go in the meantime, um, and we don't really have time to get into all of this because I do want to move on and talk about Ukraine a little bit. Um, but it really does bring up the question of climate refugees, and this is something that we've that the kind of climate change community has been talking about a lot, but there are climate refugees now where are they going to go what is going to happen to them, Um, and how is this new influx of new types of refugees going to kind of change the conversation around migrant and refugee culture. Um, Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more next week, because I actually would like to talk about that more, but um, for now I want to talk pretty quickly about Ukraine. Um, So the war in Ukraine has been going on throughout the summer, it's continuing on now, Um, but most recently Putin... Uh, declared the annexation of four regions in eastern and southern Ukraine, um, which has now led pretty much directly to the fear of the use of nuclear weapons in war, or kind of ever, um, for the first time in 77 years. Um, So Putin has threatened to resort to nuclear weapons, and basically... Um, annexing these parts of Ukraine gives Putin a potential justification on the ground that, quote, uh, the territorial integrity of the country is threatened. So basically him saying, this is our land now, but there's all these people fighting us on this land, so now we have this justification to use this kind of insane weapon against the people. Um, And so the Ukrainian response to this has been, well, first of all, from the U.S., there's been a new round of sanctions on Russia, um, including the specific targeting of government officials and family members, etc. cetera. Um, plus, Zelensky has said that the U- Ukraine is applying for um, accelerated ascension into NATO. Uh, they've also launched several counteroffensive against Russia, forcing a major Russian retreat, including from one area that was claimed to be annexed by Russia um, and then also just in general kind of speaking of that retreat the state of the Russian military is not super great um, they just called up 300,000 reservists um, after there was an exodus of more than um, 100, 180,000 individuals kind of in a protest against the war um, so we do know that like reports of the Russian military kind of being in disarray are are fairly accurate. Um, and then, so we do know that there's this kind of situation where Putin is getting a little bit desperate and so he's resorting to, you know, if I can't win on the ground, what else can I do to make sure that I win this war? Um, so most officials do find it fairly unlikely that Putin is going to carry through, carry out kind of these particular threats, um, but it's kind of, he's rather using the threat of nuclear war as a deterrent from the US and from the West in general, providing more sophisticated military assistance to Ukraine. Um, But of course, that means that the West is only going to double down and be sending more military support. Um, And this also increased Western resolve to continue supporting Ukraine, kind of in light of these recent threats. And so this is kind of, you know, a lot of experts have been talking about this, trying to kind of determine what the actual likelihood is of Putin using nuclear weapons and kind of in what way he will use them. Um, And they've basically claimed that this is the most serious case of nuclear brinksmanship since the 1980s. Um, But it's pretty obvious that any kind of nuclear action is not going to end well for Russia. Um, And it's, you know, every time I've talked about... Uh, this war, when I talked about it, kind of all last semester. Considering that it's now been going on for seven months, which is just an insane amount of time, but also feels kind of like the blink of an eye, right? Um, we're not sure what the end game is for Putin. We're not sure what the end game is for Russia. I mean, the end game for Putin is to win, just just straight up, so that he doesn't kind of lose standing, he doesn't lose face um, in Russia. But to win at what cost? That's the question is what is he willing at this point to sacrifice in order to win this war? It's pretty interesting. Um, And again, Putin hasn't yet been convinced that he can't win, um, probably because while the West has been supporting Ukraine with weapons and everything like that, uh, there hasn't been Western arms, there hasn't been Western boots on the ground yet. You know, NATO has not particularly has not intervened, has not gotten involved in the war, has not started fighting for Ukraine. Um, And so, you know, because there is not this clear denial that for sure Russia is going to lose this war, Putin is ready to up the stakes. He's ready to increase the stakes um, because he's if he's losing on the battlefield even slightly, he's going to increase the stakes so that he wins, at least in some way. Um, An article I read said that he was, quote, two or three steps away from Russia failing to achieve its goal and resorting to what was once unthinkable. Um, So, yeah, I mean, talk about raising the stakes. If he, you know, does actually end up using nuclear weapons, it's going to start a world war. Um, I don't think that there's been that level of attention on this issue. Like, I don't think that um, U.S. world leader or U.S intelligence leaders are, are really concerned about that eventuality, but it's something that can happen. I don't know. Um, so there's predictions that he will use the nukes against Ukraine in particular. Um, the smallest weapon in Russia's nuclear arsenal is hundred one fifteenth the size of the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Um, so it'd be like kind of very small, well, not very small, but, you know, controlled um, impact on Ukraine. And then there's also predictions that he might use a larger nuke against London, which would be just insane. Like, I don't think that that's something he would do. But at the same time, we can't begin to understand why Russia is doing anything that they're doing and also under trying to understand Putin's thinking his his thought patterns is not you know particularly conducive use of our time considering the fact that we kind of can't understand his psyche can't understand exactly um why he's doing what he's doing and then anyway just kind of in general i don't know we need to get rid of nuclear weapons we need to just dump them all into the ocean and be done with it because why are we still doing this um You know, shred the instruction manual for how to make new ones. Let's just move on with our lives because who is this benefiting? Who is the threat of nuclear war benefiting? Because it's not benefiting anyone and no one is going to win and everyone is going to lose. Um, And I think it's, you know, similar that we're having these same conversations about North Korea right now where they're, you know, firing test missiles um, towards Japan. And there's all of this threat that Japan and South Korea are feeling because of North Korea. And it's just, get rid of all of the, these, these weapons. Just do it. Just do it. Um, but with all that being said, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Sorry for that, like, serious 20 minutes of, of, of nuclear weapons and natural disasters. All good things happening in the world right now, guys. Um, but anyway, our fun political story of the week I really don't have one, unfortunately. It was hard to come up with another kind of wild thing that happened other than Dr. Oz killing puppies, Um, which is still just so good. Um, But if I guess I had to come up with something, something wild-ish, is that Elon Musk is officially, at least potentially, going through with his purchase of Twitter at the original price. We talked about this a lot last semester, Um, so we'll probably end up talking about it more as things... Develop and evolve, um, but just the fact that we're still having this conversation is fairly wild. He also said a couple of weeks ago that the Tesla truck could be temporarily used as a boat, which is hilarious and dumb. Don't use like what? Every, any any car can temporarily be used as a boat. What do you mean? Whatever. I, I have no respect for Elon Musk, so that's that's it. My my little fun political story of the week is me just bullying Elon Musk. Come at me, bro. Come at me. Okay. With all that being said, that is all I wanted to chat about today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Enjoy this one last dreary day of rain and darkness before the sun comes back out tomorrow. At least, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah have a lovely week. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so. It is Sheep Thrills Radio on Instagram and Sheep Thrills GW on Twitter. Um, I'll be posting the show later today with along with a lot of the sources. Um, so you can read any of the articles that I referenced throughout today's show. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day and I will talk to you next week.